1: newspaper since 1971. Bonus time with the Ben Girafsk show as I speak. It is February 21st, uh, 2024. Uh, my distinguished guests is lined up. We're going to talk about something I'm really dying to talk about, but I realize you know, I always start with a little news item, what's in the news, that I can have a conversation with my distinguished guests about what I'm about to say. <laughs> so, but I'm going to be versatile and disciplined, ladies and gentlemen. I'll, I'll just get out of my system with this opening, and then we'll move on to the other topics. But when my distinguished guest, here's what I say, he'll be nodding his head. So it's an article in the Sun-Times, today's Sun- Chicago Sun-Times, headlined, A Home Run? Reinstorf makes his pitch to lawmakers as Sox Seek. $1 billion for South Loop Ballpark. My distinguished uh, guest is a diehard Chicago White Sox fan. Uh, but this one here, ladies and gentlemen, I, I could take a deep dive in this one at another time. I'm not going to do it now, but just follow me what I'm about to say. What a gangster move by Jerry Reinsdorf uh, and the developers looking for the new uh, ball yard at the 78. Now, just so you know, I have to explain this. You need the full context. The 78 is a big chunk of vacant land in the south loop that the developers couldn't figure out a way how to develop. Uh, and they came up with this idea that I know it will do, Will uh, get Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox to sign on to building a stadium on this big chunk of vacant land, uh, and then bamboozle the public with uh, fancy drawings of a ball yard. Throw it into a compliant media who will just be happily happy to carry our uh, our our propaganda uh, and unveil it on the public as something that we really need. And oh my God, it's wor- it's working! It looks like it's working. But here's the thing: Reinsdorf went to Springfield. Follow me, ladies and gentlemen, on this to seek. He needs a whole bunch of aid. He needs like a, they need the TIF in Chicago, they need like a, what a, what amounts to a sales tax TIF. Don't worry about the details, just follow me, okay? Uh and they probably need to refinance uh, to to use the state to borrow money um uh, like they do with their the current uh, White Sox park. But they're doing this at the same time the Bears are about to make a move. The Bears want to build on the – Bears are basically pretty much it clear that they don't want to build in Arlington Heights anymore. They want to build on the lakefront. They want to build where um, – uh, right next to where Soldier Field is now. Uh, and uh, so they're going to need a handout. I'm like, what a gangster move. Before the Bears could go to Springfield and seek their handout, Reinsdorf went to Springfield and sought his handout. I'm like, if I'm the Bears, I'm really mad. But I, I don't think capitalists are allowed, you know, big-time capitalists like that, allowed to have public feuds. They're all supposed to pretend like they're all on the same page. And they care about us. So I don't know if the Bears are going to go public with this. But if I were the Bears, I'd be pretty upset. Now, how – come up, folks. Realistically, how is J.B. Pritzker, Chris Welch, Don Harmon, how are they supposed to sign on to handouts for the White Sox and the Bears At the same time, when we don't even know how we're going to pay for our public schools. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
0: Good afternoon, Ben. Um, I am a trial lawyer. I am a member of the Planning and Zoning Commission for Park Ridge, and I'm actually wearing a White Sox pullover today for this show. It was not intentional, and I didn't know you were going to talk about um, Chairman Reinsdorf. Uh, But... I do have to, and and again, my name is Jim Coogan of uh, the law firm of Coogan Gallagher in Park Ridge, Illinois. But I do need to mention that I think one thing about this uh, attempt to access the public coffers with respect to this new stadium deal, I don't know how this is all going to play out for the White Sox ownership because my thought over the last couple of days is he is going to encounter a very different Springfield and a very different political landscape than he did back in the late 80s, the last time that they secured a very generous public financing deal. Uh, well, I mean, they don't even own the stadium. They rent it from the state for a very, very reasonable, modest fee. So, I, I, I mean, I, I suppose this is what he has to do in his mind. Securing public financing is a necessary component to whatever the White Sox are going to do. But you combine that with what I don't think is a very receptive audience in Nashville to spending public money either. Uh, it may not go the way that they thought it was going to go, at least if they're basing it on past precedent.
1: I, I, I agree with you, and we're going to resist uh, the temptation to take the deep dive in this subject, uh, but I, you're absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> I, get, I, I just had
0: to respond, I guess. <laughs> I,
1: I, I can feel the pull, Jim. It's, it's taking me. I mean, this is one of my favorite topics in the whole world. Uh, but I'll just add one more time. The, just the added ingredient of the bear's also seeking or preparing to seek because their Arlington Heights deal seems to be falling apart. They're far apart uh, with Arlington Heights on the tax sub- subsidy. And it seems as though Kevin Warren, who is uh, the president of the Bears, c- doesn't even want to be in the in the suburbs. And he, he wants to be on the lakefront. And so I, I do not know <laughs> how this is going to play out. Uh, I'll be watching uh, with fascination because I love politics. I love the imagination of the politics. But I also think the stakes are pretty high because we're talking about uh, there's only a limited amount of public dollars the city has. Hey, here we go. Put it to Park Ridge. I just solved it. There you go. Put them both. Them. It's Bears and White Sox out in Park Ridge. Let Jim Coogan deal with the the zoning issues. All <laughs> right. Uh, so Jim is a regular on this show. Uh, he is a podcaster on his own right. Uh, we've been talking uh, law and Donald Trump for as long as I can remember. It seems like I've always been talking law and Donald Trump uh, with Jim Coogan. Uh, and um, Jim so generously sent me the – usually I send the cheat sheet to uh, my guests going, this is what we're going to talk about. But you beat me to the punch, Jim. Your cheat sheet is excellent. First of all, your spelling is all correct, whereas mine, just, as you know from getting many, there's all kinds of misspellings. Uh, but you covered <laughs> – I don't know if we're going to get to all this because uh, Donald Trump is up to so much bad stuff. Uh, now, I dealt at great length yesterday, or we recorded it on uh, Tuesday, I want to say, uh, with uh, Kim Fox talking about Fannie Willis and Georgia. So I'll hold that off, I think, till the end if we have time. But I really want to talk about the Trump civil cases uh, in New York uh, since the last time you were on. Um, it's gotten worse for Trump. Uh, so let's talk um, Let's talk his business case in New York uh, before we get, oh, my God, then there's the hush money to Daniels. Good God. Uh, th- I'm doing this on top of my head. $355 million uh, a, a, a penalty that that judge hit Trump with, and it could be more when also done. So why don't you do us some summary, uh, some great Jim Coogan summary, and then we'll take it from there. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, so that is a massive fine against any business. Let's start with that. And it, and it is intended to be proportional to the amount of fraud that was committed and a penalty beyond the fraud that was committed. And I do want to, the place I actually want to start with is the false notion that has been spread across conservative media that somehow this is a conviction. It's not a conviction, it's a civil penalty. Or that it's a penalty in search of wrongdoing, that no one was harmed, no one complained, all these banks got their money back, and there's nothing, this is really just unfair to Donald Trump. You and I, when we talked about this case before this decision came down from Judge Engeron, at the time we were talking about the preposterous antics both in and out of court and what seemed like um, what would be an ineffective defense focusing more on public relations and stunts and screaming and yelling and mischaracterizations of what was going to happen in the trial. And we were right. That's exactly what happened. Um, But at the time there was also one of the public statements by Trump and by his attorneys was, you're also going to hear that nobody complained about any of this and there are no victims and so on. Well, the problem with that idea is that the statute itself does not require, this is New York law. It's a business regulation. It doesn't require for there to be a specific person who is a victim of being defrauded. Now, the listener may ask themselves, well, well, then wait a minute, what's the point of the regulation? How is that? Is that possibly putting an unfair burden on the business operator? Um, Maybe it is an unfair regulation if there's no victim. But that's not the case. The purpose of this statute is market distortion. The purpose of holding... and." let's just forget for a second. There's no, there, there's no defense out there either publicly or at the trial that they didn't do this. Right? So let's, let's, you know, for a second here, besides jumping way past and making this somehow about the, the lack of there being a victim, uh, basically they're just admitting that they committed the fraud. The judge found that they committed some, of some of the fraud was decided by the judge before the trial even started because as a matter of law, it was so crystal clear that they, created filings with false information and transmitted them to banking and insurance people with the intent of being used for whatever purposes, including securing loans. So they did the thing first of all, but the idea of this being a protection against market distortion is, is the most important response to people saying this is unfair and there's no victims. Why? Because the victims are anybody else in that same marketplace Trying to secure loans. There's a finite amount of money that could be loaned out by every financial institution that's in that marketplace. And if Donald Trump and his company are getting favorable terms based upon claims about their wealth, that he got lower interest rates, higher borrowing amounts, more favorable uh, payback terms were based upon his representations that he was worth a certain amount of money. I mean, one of the thresholds was like a $2.5 billion threshold, I think. That if he has that amount, the idea from the banks is, well, you know, what's the risk of giving him a three or $400 million loan when he can obviously pay this back if everything goes belly up? So misrepresenting how much money he had to pay that back meant that he got better terms, more money that possibly crowded somebody else out somebody else who could have started a business or gotten some loan that they really needed. And instead they're competing against someone who's lying. So for those of those people out there, I don't know of the MAGA persuasion who are obsessed with competition in say women's sports, and they've been losing their minds for the last five years over the notion that a person who is transgender could compete in women's sports. It's totally unfair because they're filled with testosterone. Well, Imagine how upset you'd be if you realized that this was actually a business owner who was well aware of the regulations, knew what they were, lied about the position that he was in to basically falsify the competition and get a leg up on competition on false premises. So anybody else who was looking to seek to get business loans for whatever business they were in lost out on those opportunities because of what Donald Trump was doing. And then to go back and answer your question about what happened here, the penalty from Judge Engeron is $355 million or so. But one of the other features here is that there are, there are pre-judgment interest penalties because this fraud dates back for, for years. So there's somewhere in the ballpark of another $100 million just in past interest because not paying the, lo- the, the penalties when they should have been paid when the fraud was committed, means that that's been accruing all this time. And the longer he goes without paying it, he will continue to accrue both pre- and post-judgment interest. So the meter is still running. And we could talk about how he can, of course, he's going to want to appeal, but the prospect of appealing is not as easy as it sounds because one of the features of a civil judgment like this is you need to put money up against that judgment, either by putting the full amount of the judgment with an account held by the court or get a bond, which is essentially another kind of loan, but you still have to put up some kind of principle against that. And I would imagine that if you're guilty of civil fraud in your business operations, you might find a more limited marketplace of bond offerers that would be willing to put that money up for you because they of course have to believe that you'd be able to pay it back if somehow you lost the case and then you were of course ordered to pay the entire thing.
1: All right. Uh, let me go back to the uh, analogy you made, because that was a good. And I had never thought of that. Uh, so I got to give you credit. the first time I heard it. I don't know if that just came to you before we did the show or you heard it somewhere else, but it was really good. Uh, so uh, comparing it to um, MAGA people, the outrage they have over trans uh, women competing in um, sports. Now, I'll push back on this point. There are, quote unquote, victims in those matters. There are women swimmers who have complained. I used to get uh, fundraising appeals from them at gym. It's, like, it's so bizarre, like, I and I can't remember their names, so I apologize to the listeners. Usually have the names right at hand, but I can't remember. But let's say the name is Sally Sue, just for the hell of it. And Sally Sue is an Olympic, uh, a potential Olympic gold medalist, what have you, or a great, no, it's usually a college. Somebody competing in college and looking for the college championship. Uh, and uh, she loses, uh, to a trans woman athlete, and she, I am the victim. She will identify herself as a victim. So, there, the point that you were making is that uh, that Mag is going. There is no equivalent uh, in the banking game. So, my question to you is, why aren't the banks speaking out and claiming victimhood? I mean, essentially, the the judge has ruled that Trump defrauded them. And he gave them fraudulent information, uh, which convinced them to give him a loan at terms that they probably wouldn't have given him, presumably, if they knew that the information he gave them was fraudulent. So in your opinion, why aren't they speaking out and claiming victimhood?
0: Yeah, I mean, here I would be left to speculate a little bit, but I mean, they are... Banks in the business of offering large loans to large businesses, many of which are run by people who are supportive of Donald Trump, uh, or possibly those, those chiefs of those banks are also supportive of Donald Trump and his politics, uh, or they just want to stay out of politics altogether. And this is a case that wouldn't be about politics, but for the fact that he ran for president and became the 45th president of the United States, it would just be a civil fraud case. It'd be a business fraud case, uh, so I, I assume that it's more of a, a choice to be out of the fray, out of the spotlight, not say anything. And ultimately, if they they got paid, the money was reimbursed. So ultimately, there's not as m- I mean, all all they could say is, well, I suppose somewhere along the way, maybe they would have gotten more in the way of interest if the loans were paid on whatever terms and it was a, if the principal was repaid but you went back and calculated what the interest would have been between the time of the loan and the time the principal was repaid uh, these are probably business decisions that they're making uh not to rock the boat and make sure that they aren't alienating any future banking customers because you know some of the largest interests in the country presidents of these companies CEOs of these companies even if the company themselves is not a political type company like Twitter X might be looked at these days. They still don't want to be in that business either, or necessarily don't want to want to do business with a bank that they see as hostile or complaining about something after the fact, especially when they got paid back. So I feel like it's, it's a way to avoid creating any conflicts with future banking business for those banks.
1: So I, I understand the point uh, you are making, Uh, and it's not very reassuring to me, I got to tell you, uh, um, about uh, capitalists' ability to police themselves. I'll just put it that way. Um, It certainly suggests to me, without any evidence, just looking on from the outside in, that they're all in on the game. They're all in on the hustle. Uh, and uh, that the reason they're not claiming victimhood uh, is that they somehow or other managed to pass the loss onto somebody else, and they got their profit, or they're covering up something they don't want the public to know about. Um, (laughs) But it's like an analogy I would make. It's like one gangster not suing another gangster uh, over... (laughs) Something they all know they shouldn't have done.
0: Yeah. If there's other illicit loan activity going on, if they're doing business with uh, foreign companies that they don't want any, if they've avoided regulatory scrutiny about those dealings up to this point, uh, claiming that they lost something might open them to deeper scrutiny of their books other loan activity that they've been involved in. And then suddenly things that they'd rather regulate regulators who wouldn't otherwise be looking at certain things now suddenly are looking at it. They would like to avoid that. So that I think that that's probably a deeper reason than just avoiding politics as well.
1: Yeah. And, uh, another point you made in a, a text to me that you probably forgot that you sent. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, from time to time, I feel you feel compelled to just get something off your chest and you send me a text and go, "Oh, let me remind, uh, And this has to do with the unfairness of it all. Uh, You got into this a little bit at at the opening when you talked about the impact it has on the larger market. Uh, So the loan that they give to Trump, uh, based in part on a fraudulent claim, is a loan that doesn't go to somebody else. Uh, And uh, it's a loan, it it impacts the market, as you put it. Uh, And you sent me this text, I don't know if you remember this, it's a while back. Quote, for someone who pays his taxes, tries to run a business ethically, and who's been disgusted by the past eight years of Trump and the fawning over how smart and successful he is, it's gratifying to see that there still appear to be rules and consequences. Uh, and I, you, you you began by saying the, the, the conservative view on this. And uh, it, it was really what a MAGA view, which is different than conservative, because the conservative view, at the traditional definition of conservative, would be outraged. Uh, there's there's no rules governing Trump. He's not required uh, to uh, offer accurate information. Uh, it's all it's all like a a wink and a nod. Uh, everybody's in on it it's absolutely the it's just the complete contradiction of conservative dictates and rules in philosophy it's it's a perversion of what conservative normally is and it's really unfair and it's so twisted that 45% of the country is dedicating itself to this notion that there's nothing wrong with this because Essentially, Trump did it, and they love Trump, and that's a frightening, uh, f- a thought, Jim. Uh, I find that so scary. Like the principles that people supposedly have are just li- are just being shredded right now. Conservative principles are being shredded right here, uh, and I- I'd love for your thoughts a little bit on that to elaborate a bit.
0: Well, the the great okay. I have repeatedly been saying to, and by the way, just just to emphasize the point I'm about to make, I don't think that Trump is a good businessman. I don't think that I think this case illustrates how bad of a businessman he is. Um, because so, what I, what I was about to say is he's not really good at anything except for a perverse level of self confidence and the ability to con people who are willing to be conned. That is his. And a shamelessness. So that's like his superpowers. And I don't think he's good at anything else. Not empathy, not business, not strategy, not thinking, not communication. Other than, as you've pointed out, uh, some audience members seem to be enamored with speakers who don't speak in complete sentences and don't finish their thoughts. Uh, like the old Mayor Daly or the young Mayor Daly or Donald Trump or many, many others that we could probably think of. But, um, you know this is th- the idea that this is something that is applauded or excused the weird thing about trump is he predicted this i don't know if it's because he's always known who the marks were or he understood it in all of his uh, learning of the media through his apprentice days and his wwf wwe days and so on that people would for some reason if they're just worshipful will just excuse anything because he was the one who proclaimed that he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue. The point being that there'd be so many witnesses, it wouldn't be a question of whether he did it. It wouldn't be a question of false identification. Everybody saw it happen, and yet he'd get away with it. That was his claim. Now, I don't think that would happen in New York. I think a New York jury might convict him, as we've seen. But who knows if it was in some small town that voted 99% for Trump in the last election. I don't know. Maybe they just, well... You know he was just exercising his presidential immunity, so that's that's okay for him to shoot someone in the middle of uh, Main Street. But that seems to be this just depressingly American phenomenon that we've been living through since he came down the escalator back in 2015. There is a subset of people that grows and shrinks depending on the day who they'll excuse justify and and find. Bizarre explanations for anything. Uh, you know, January 6th wasn't an a insurrection because it was a bunch of Antifa and BLM people and FBI provocateurs under, uh, that were disguised. No evidence of that. I don't think anybody who's really examined it believes that. Not to mention we've got mountains of evidence showing the full scope of that conspiracy. But there's people who would rather believe that there's, you know, I watched uh, some YouTube video of some some folks who would go around Trump rallies and events and interview the people waiting in line and ask them questions. And there and there's person after person answering that. Yeah, maybe it is time for a dictator in this country because America needs a swift kick in the rear or some biblical reference or something. And like, I guess the, the even weirder part about that is, here's someone who doesn't follow any rules has no discipline and has no example to set. So why that would even be the person you would want to be the one to give you that swift kick in the rear and get, get things into shape. Even if you were willing to believe that there were problems in America that he could solve or something like that, I still don't see how that would be the person you'd turn to. Um, so honestly, I, you know, I guess, uh, Maybe I haven't read enough New York Times columns where they went and interviewed a bunch of people at a Pennsylvania diner uh, somewhere in the Allegheny area. <laughs> like. And I don't know exactly what these, I, I still don't understand what makes people tick who would rather avoid the central problem of this guy. And they want to focus on problems with anything else or excuse anything that he did and find a million other reasons like weaponization of the justice system or the bias of Fannie Willis or the bias of uh, Letitia James as an excuse for this.
1: All right, so let's talk legal strategy here. And we've talked about this in the past. Um, So in the case of this fraud, uh, the business fraud matter, and uh, he's now facing a $355 million uh, fine, uh, which probably increased uh, due to penalties. as I've said many times to you, we've had this conversation many times. There's no, like, there's no legal defense being raised here other than it's not, and this is not even a legal defense, like the threat that if he is uh, elected president, he'll be immune from having to pay this fine for some reason. Uh, and there may be consequences for the judge and his clerk, the judge's clerk, uh, kind of like a vague threat a veiled threat from Trump uh on on that matter uh and so am i missing something here with Donald Trump and his response to this very serious uh, penalty he's been socked with um is is there like a an unseen uh method to this madness go ahead jim
0: uh no Okay. <laughs> Look, I, you know, at the end of the day, this is somebody who has avoided consequence for so long that I, I guess he just doesn't know that it's possible to for there to be consequences for his actions at this point. Um, you, you, start your life by being shielded, uh, under the umbrella of a very successful company that your father started and do a bunch of crazy stuff for 50 years. And it all just sort of works. um, At this, you know, there's always that phenomenon that you can identify with certain powerful individuals. When they surround themselves with yes men, then they never hear no. When they do that, they usually expose themselves to some kind of terrible comeuppance because they're they're going to expand the blind spots that the arrogance that put them in in that position already made likely that they wouldn't appreciate a freight train coming down the tracks. Uh, and if you don't have good advisors, or you would never listen to good advice, then you just won't understand the implications of your actions. I don't think he understands anything about the legal system at all, based upon his public statements. And if these are the lawyers who A are self-selected at this point because many good lawyers would never work with him at this point, and B, even if a, a good lawyer was willing to work with them, they'd never act in a way that he'd be satisfied with. So they would get kicked off the team because they wouldn't make preposterous, dramatic public statements, uh, you know, screaming and yelling in in the in the streets about him, to Because that's what he. Here's the disconnect. He's still fighting a PR battle. And the only thing he understands is television and image. But the legal system has actual machinery, real judges with power who can then, if it's if it comes to it. Enter orders on these judgments, which then could be used to impound assets that are at a bank. Like These are the, the real mechanisms that happen when somebody refuses to pay their bills. There's liens against properties that can be effectuated so that if he starts having to liquidate these properties, all of a sudden, even those sales are complicated and Im- impeded upon. Um, and the only explanation in my mind that I could think of is that it just hasn't happened yet. And that's why he's still in disbelief. It's still derivative of that, that power of positive thinking mantra that he bought into back in the 70s or 80s or whenever it was, and g- genuinely just believes that somehow it's going to work out. If he's loud and angry and crazy enough, it'll just work out.
1: Well, I, uh, <laughs> good luck, Donald, uh, with that uh, <laughs> working out with that. I didn't say bar. I would
0: recommend the strategy, but yeah. I just want to be clear for the record here.
1: Uh, Nobody else in America could have gotten this far with that strategy. Uh, And his finding the lawyers that he needs uh, to file his appeals that just delay, 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 delay in every instance, every matter. It's every news article about a a finding against Trump, judgment against Trump uh, is immediately there's a paragraph. He will appeal. He will appeal. Uh, He is. He has the lawyers, Jim. I don't know if he's – we've discussed this. We don't know if he pays them up front. They're just doing it for publicity. Uh, But he is dragging this thing out as long as he can, all right, which moves me to the next matter uh, in New York. Uh, Alvin Bragg's case against him uh, for paying hush money – to stormy daniels we have literally i talked about jim and i have been talking about um, donald trump's illegal battle issues for years i think this may have been the first one we talked about I, unless i'm forgetting one of course when this story broke with michael cohen years ago and uh, it's finally coming to trial and so i'm gonna uh throw the this this thing i hear all the time at you and get your response. i don't think we've ever actually discussed this particular aspect i've heard even, quote-unquote, objective legal observers, and I have that in quotes. Everybody's always bending over backwards to be fair to Trump, which is very bizarre because he, he won't do that to you. Um, say, well, this was the worst possible criminal case you could have brought against Donald Trump because it, it's a rel- relative triviality. Uh, I've heard so many people say this or write this, uh, Jim. Uh, and so what's your response to that? Um, you know, uh, that Alvin Bragg, uh, of New York, the prosecutor in New York should not have brought this because it's revel- relatively trivial. Go ahead.
0: Um, yeah. Th- I mean, there is a political component and a judgment component to being a district attorney or a state's attorney, as we call them in Illinois. So they have prosecutorial discretion. They don't have to bring every case. They choose the cases they can bring the, the standard that they're supposed to decide based upon is the same standard. They'd have to prove a trial. Once they're able to review it or their team or whichever delegate in, the, in a big multi-lawyer office of a prosecutor's office reviews it, does the evidence demonstrate that you can prove that crime has been committed beyond a reasonable doubt? And then once they know that that predicate is there, if they believe it's worth their resources and time, then they bring the case. The criticism that you don't do this because it's trivial, I think that demands a question be answered by the person claiming triviality. Trivial because you shouldn't risk losing the case, or trivial because the victim doesn't matter, or trivial because it's irrelevant. I mean, if, if somebody could make that claim and explain to me why it shouldn't be brought, they're certainly entitled to that opinion. But in this situation, you're dealing with, again, a person who has continuously manipulated all sorts of records for all sorts of purposes and in, specifically in this case, we should bring ourselves back to the heady days of September, I think, August of 2016. Um, we were just finding out that Hillary Clinton had destroyed trillions of emails intentionally to hide her illegal dealings with all sorts of foreign actors. Of course, the most horrible scandal in American history that uh, she has hung around her neck, which was just ridiculous from the start, ridiculous all the way through. And God help us that Jim Comey decided to revive it for no reason weeks before the election, which nobody, you know, that's something I think that can never be forgotten. It's definitely something that drove the victory for Donald Trump in 2016. Just a preposterous um, mishandling by the Department of Justice by a guy who I think likes to think of himself as above board and beyond partisanship, but because of that did some really reckless things with that Clinton investigation. But that was the same time that we were learning about the disgusting Access Hollywood tape where celebrity Donald Trump was bragging to George Bush's nephew, About his manipulation of women's body parts without their consent, because that's just locker room talk, right? Ben, you know when you and I go to Morning Delight, we brag about grabbing women because that's the cool thing for guys to do. No, it's disgusting, And and it was disgusting then. And and I was not to get off too far on a tangent, but I was one thing I was remember being disappointed by was Republican senators who would say things like, "Well, I've got a daughter, and I realize that's inappropriate." why do you need to have a daughter to realize it's inappropriate to grab a woman's sensitive part of their body without consent? I mean, you, all right. So anyway, the key about this criminal prosecution for falsifying business records to illegally account for hush money payments is that that access Hollywood news really put a dent in the Trump campaign at the time. And It very well could the next shoe that could have dropped was finding out that, oh, by the way, he also paid or slept with a porn star while his wife was pregnant, which adds to, I mean, I I don't know that it's okay to cheat on any circumstances, but it does add something to it. If you if you need to add something to it, it does. Adding that additional element to it could have tipped that election. So it is not irrelevant because Adding two, three, four, five more things on top of a person who already had several reasons to be rejected by women voters in this country, and hopefully men who respect humanity and don't just need excuses to to value a woman's uh, s- sovereignty over her own body, um, it, it could have mattered then. Obviously, we'll never know with particularity, but as we now learned just this week, breaking news, I think yesterday uh, Judge Mershant, the, the the justice overseeing that criminal case in New York, rejected the defense's motion to dismiss the entire thing, to dem- dismiss all the charges on a variety of grounds that they alleged that it was, you know, he was illegally and improperly being selectively prosecuted or just that the the pleading was deficient on its face. They didn't properly allege that what he did fit with the elements of the crime. No. Rejected on all counts. So now the trial can move forward um, in theory next month. Um, so that's the, the latest development with it is, is on top of everything else from the perspective of, okay, we talked about political sufficiency and prosecutorial sufficiency. I think it's justified. I don't really think there's a strong case to say it's not. It's also the legal predicate is there. And so the next question is whether a jury believes that he did it beyond a reasonable doubt
1: yeah i and to answer the first point that you made uh when you like listed what people could be getting at when they call it a triviality uh I think the point that is generally made is that um how do I put this uh it's got the least chance of ups oh, God. This is the conventional media that I have. I can't, Jim, I hate it when I have to explain to people what conventional wisdom is, because once I do that, it sounds so absurd. And then I I always feel compelled to say, I'm not defending this. I'm just doing my best to regurgitate what the argument is. Uh, oh it's a real God. misnomer then,
0: too. It's, I mean, the conventional wisdom, what a...
1: Yeah, it's but the conventional Even the wisdom. Yeah, but the, the notion is like, um, so if you go first with this, uh, the the public who's largely asleep and not paying attention will go, well, this doesn't sound bad. Everybody uh, p- p- pays off <laughs> porn stars <laughs> that they've slept with. And, and so it, it detracts from the real serious matter of the insurrection. Uh, and uh, so therefore, we we only have a certain limited amount of attention to pay to Donald Trump's crimes. So because we dismiss this one as irrelevant, we're going to dismiss all the other ones as irrelevant. That's that's essentially the argument, uh, which is not exactly a legal argument, to put it mildly. Uh, but um, no, I listen. My, Michael Cohen already did time for this, so fair's fair. Uh, Didn't he? He
0: did extra yeah. time because they punished him for uh, yeah. for wanting to publish a book about it.
1: Yes. Uh, and and I got to tell you, man, Michael Cohen, for better or for worse, <laughs> is standing. The t- he is the- he's not backing down, Jim. I mean, we've been talking about Michael Cohen as a lawyer for s- seven years. Uh, he's still persisting. He's still at the he's at the heart of this uh, case against uh, Donald Trump, and he is determined to bring Trump down, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, he's going to get Trump because he feels uh, he sold his soul to the devil with Donald Trump. So we'll see how that one goes. All right. Uh, I got to ask you for your thoughts on something. Uh, I, I took a note. You were you were going on a riff um, and you went back to the Comey uh, letter about um, uh, Hillary Clinton. And I had deja vu. And I don't think I've talked about you with this, uh, with uh, Robert Herr uh, and his, um, uh, <laughs> who he was the one doing the investigation of uh, President Biden. Uh, and the doc, and his documents uh, case. Uh, here we go again. Okay, uh, he was doing the investigation of uh, President Biden in his document case, and he felt compelled to essentially say that uh, Joe Biden is just an old man. Uh, your thoughts on that, Jim?
0: Well, it, first and foremost, the we talked about conventional wisdom, which always makes me think of the New York Times. Uh, more than anything, uh I know you have a lot of conversations about that august newspaper on the on this show uh you know when ninety percent of their readers at this point are mostly Democrats and ninety percent of those readers are uh boomers or, or who who then just get Terrified by every art, yeah. It, it it does seem like a lot of what they write is intended to drive those clicks uh, for someone to frantically read an article while they're waiting to pick up their grandkids from soccer uh, about why the country's going to fall apart again. Um. So the 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 analogous problem that Democrats have, establishment Democrats, and I, I include Joe Biden and his administration in this, is that they continuously bend over backwards to create the impression of of being above bias and while i respect the notion of you don't want to just openly target your political opponents with say judicial proceedings and and using the justice department if you have evidence of it then you don't have to explain whether you're biased or not and i think they get way too caught up in Uh, Okay, every time we're investigating a Republican, we're going to also appoint a former Republican senator who's been a prosecutor to be the special investigator for that guy. You, You don't think for one second, and we don't even have to speculate, it happened throughout the Trump administration, he didn't bother to appoint any. Democrats to be special and prosecutors or special investigators. Um, We witnessed the preposterousness of that. uh, Now the gentleman's name is escaping me, but he's got glasses and he's bald and he did the special investigation. And it was, there was nothing, there was not, not a whit of evidence. All the, the one case that he brought to trial, he lost. And by the time it all got concluded, it was a joke. Trump constantly was, was bellowing about how the, the evidence was finally going to drop. Bill Barr would, would, would vaguely predict that that was going to be a really meaningful John something. Damn it.
1: What yeah, is, I, our, expert, uh, yeah.
0: but it, it, that never led to anything. That wasn't an impartial unbiased investigation. So here first they appoint Merrick Garland to be the attorney general who I guess the purpose there was to be as, as above bias as possible But it hasn't done them any favors because mostly it seems to have just slowed down the appointment of uh, Special Prosecutor Smith and the prosecution of these cases. Here, they tried to bend over backwards again, and they take a guy who Donald Trump had appointed as the attorney for the state of Maryland, and that's the guy who does this investigation of Joe Biden. And rather than just say the evidence doesn't support or the evidence would not support a conclusion that he committed the crime beyond a reasonable doubt, he gratuitously goes beyond that to speculate about the defenses that it's not even really a defense. It's really more of a characterization of how they would present a defendant Biden as Uh, you know, a goofy old man who just doesn't know anything. And then he has to include references in there about information that he couldn't remember, which by the way, over the course of a five hour interview, I believe this was, you know, if you're going to confuse a year here and there, you know, maybe knowing the year that you were in office doesn't sound like a good one to confuse, but take a look at anybody who's listening to the show right now, take a look at every publicly available video of a a Donald Trump deposition between the questions that he claims to not know the answer to, which is probably a lie that he's, he doesn't remember something or I don't know, does it seem like some sign of uh, dementia or or losing your mental f- faculties when you claim that you don't know who Egene Carroll is, but when presented with a picture of her, you think it's your ex wife because that was Trump's testimony. He thought it was Marla Maples, but Joe Biden's the one who's got, you know uh, who, who's losing his mind. Apparently I, it's it's unfortunate, it, it, and it, it's like that's one of those self-inflicted wounds that Democrats in Washington tend to engage in making uh, because they're trying to bend over backwards and and do things like appointing Robert Hur to write this report. Twenty five percent of it was just which was just gratuitous uh, to to load up against the president.
1: Yeah, uh, the gentleman's name you were uh, trying to think was John Durham. Uh John Durham was the special prosecutor who was examining the Russian dossier. Uh, it was and, so
0: inconsequential uh, I forgot his name, Ben.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sad that I knew it. Uh and uh <laughs> uh yeah, no, I just uh I am with you on that one hundred percent. All right. Uh let's move on and uh, talk Eugene Carroll, uh and the other case out of New York. Uh, since the last time you were on the show, I don't, I don't think we the, um, the judgment had come down 80 I'm doing this off the top of my head. 83 million I want to say um, I mean this these are staggering numbers Jim uh, there's only so many shoes sneakers that Donald Trump could sell uh, to try to raise the money to pay uh, these um, these fines so she uh, has prevailed at every step of the way. he has I mean just you know usually again, uh, defendants show remorse after they lost, uh, in the ho- if nothing else, in the hopes that'll uh, get them a little leniency. He has doubled down uh, on on his assaults on E. Jean Carroll. Uh, your thoughts about this?
0: Yeah. Uh, no, Trump has never been known for his capacity to demonstrate even faking remorse. So that I suppose none of us should have been surprised by. And I mean, he could sell. More of these shoes, because apparently they don 't exist, and from something I read on the internet there 's a massive disclaimer that they may or may not be available by June or something like that. so those people who have already shelled out three hundred and ninety nine dollars uh, get what they deserve but you're you were also spot on it was eighty three million dollars for the second judgment against him on top of the five million dollars that had already been determined um, <clears throat> and this all is an example of being incapable of shutting his trap. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess on some level, you'd wonder what difference it makes at this point. His super fans don't care what he did to E. Gene Carroll. It doesn't make any difference to his donors. It doesn't make any difference to the Republicans who hate him but pretend like they like him just to keep in office. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But he's so hellbent on just being vicious to a person that he just has to keep doing it. Um, And this would be a perfect example of, and Jack Smith would be another example, but a perfect example of he is hopelessly outgunned because of the situation that he has put himself in when it comes to his legal representation. Because Roberta Kaplan is a tremendous attorney. She knows defamation cases and how to prove the damages of defamation cases backwards and forwards, and has nailed every procedural step of this case, including how they've brought both cases together for the things that he did before, the things that he did after Uh, really just excellent uh, execution of legal representation for, for Carol and good for her for hiring the best uh, in New York to do that, because that's what's, that's what we've seen. Um, And even there, there's another example of it's a, it's, it's a very expensive defamation verdict, which if he wants to appeal is an expensive proposition. I think that he's already put up the five million dollars that he needed to for the first part. He's going to have to put up some portion of 83 million dollars for the rest, and there are, like we mentioned earlier, post-judgment interests uh, rates that will run the meter will keep running on these judgments as he goes forward, And he might keep defaming her. I don't I mean, <laughs> I mean, they might have to file another post-trial motion for additional relief uh, or another lawsuit against him straight up for more defamation.
1: When you say he put up the $5 million uh, for the first trial, does, uh, for the first verdict, does that money go to Eugene Carroll or does that go into an escrow account?
0: It would go into an escrow account while he's appealing it. And I believe that that is what they're doing. They haven't conceded anything. So he would still have to wait until it was distributed when uh, the appeal is dismissed or there's an affirming of the judgment.
1: Well, uh, again, just like uh, the first strategy with the business fraud case, I, c- I cannot see uh, the, the, the legal logic to what he's doing, uh, where he just keeps defying the judge and uh, defying the jurors. Uh, I Again, if there is a, a strategy, it's somehow the hope that if he's reelected, he can get out of this uh, by what? creating a dictatorship in this country and just saying, I don't have to pay anything and see in court and p- appealing everything to the Supremes. Uh, I would guess that's his strategy. Uh, but right now it sure looks like he's eventually going to have to pay uh, that amount of money.
0: Well, consider right. he I- only was going to be a dictator for one day. I, I guess if he was yeah. going to set up some sort of uh, Judicial Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it might take two days. You know, all of a sudden, he's going to think of a third thing to do on day three. Pretty soon, the dictatorship has gone on, you know, for a couple of decades. But I digress.
1: Yeah, you digress. Uh, all right. So let me close by getting your thoughts on uh, Fannie Willis. Uh, and again, I've obsessively talked about this. Uh, and I will continue because it's, uh, it's really a political, to me, it's p- uh, political as much as legal. Uh, but just a, a quick summary. Uh, Fonnie Willis is the prosecutor in Georgia uh, who brought charges against Trump uh, for attempting to steal the election. Uh, I had a great vision today when I was talking to Monroe Anderson. I likened it to a Colombo episode where in Colombo you see the crime uh, and then you see Colombo try to figure out the crime. Well, we saw the crime. We saw Trump uh, tell, uh, ask the Secretary of State to throw, find him the votes he needed to uh, defeat uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, he's countered. Uh, his and his allies have countered by calling attention to an alleged conflict of interest with Fonnie Willis because uh, she was having a romantic relationship uh, with one of her underlings in the case uh do you think there's any there's a chance that this will be successful uh, and that the judge will rule in trump's favor uh, and uh, order Fonnie Willis off the case?
0: yeah, this has been uh Really wild. It was it was wild enough to have a county prosecutor indicting the former president and of a, a dozen or more co-conspirators for this crime, a crime that I don't. I think that there could be defenses to, but there certainly seems clearly the evidence that it happened. Um, and then you get into this just absolute. I'm going to call it an unforced error because, from what I understand about prosecutor Willis. She's a capable, able prosecutor who has has done a, a has been impressive professionally as an attorney. To find the best possible team, apparently in this case, because of the extra man hours that were going to be required, they set aside additional budgeting to bring in outside people to add to their team. Because otherwise, you could just use the prosecutors that are working in that office, but they've got murders and carjackings and all kinds of other crimes to work on. So they brought in other people, which meant that they budgeted money to pay outside. We'll call them consultants for the purposes of this discussion, but being in a romantic relationship, whether I, there has certainly been testimony that that relationship predated hiring Nathan Wade, which is the the special prosecutor at issue here. She disputes that they had that romantic relationship beforehand. He disputes it, but the, The judge is going to have to make a decision about whether, which side of that he believes if it was predating it. That is just terrible judgment. I don't care if he's a terrific lawyer. There's lots of terrific lawyers that would have been willing to take that case regardless of, you know, I mean, some people might say it's dangerous. She got death threats. Her whole team has probably been threatened or followed or something, but somebody else would have been willing to be a part of that team. So that's not an excuse no matter how good of a lawyer he might be. And if the relationship started afterwards, that's also terrible judgment because you've chosen to do something that is of historical significance. And if she is as, as bright as I think that she probably is, she couldn't possibly have failed to appreciate that. And that's a real problem because as a prosecutor, you have all this tremendous power. You can bring these cases, but you are subject to greater scrutiny Because you have the power of the whole government behind you to charge people with crimes. You asked specifically whether or not I think the judge will grant the motion to force her off this case. I don't know if that's going to happen, even if there is a finding of ethical impropriety on her part. Only because I still haven't seen a cogent explanation of what the connection is between the two things. Um, because other than some vague, confusing theory about her essentially creating a kickback scheme for herself, it's just, it's very weak. That's not, and it still doesn't really tell you anything about the, um, the ethical underpinnings of the decision to charge the case in the first place, unless you can connect some ethical lapse on her part, like, I don't know, being bribed by somebody to to file the charges in the first place the victim of a crime bribes the prosecutor and says listen i'm giving you $20,000 i want you to charge that guy with murder you know there is an obvious connection between those things the charges would get dismissed the lawyer would get sanctioned they'd lose their office and they might go to jail this is different and it's it's hard for me to tell i did watch some of the proceedings it was very difficult to watch her testify they say lawyers don't make good witnesses I don't know whether she did herself any favors by being very forceful as a witness. I can understand that things that she believed were false, that she would be emotional and driven to forcefully push back on those things. But at the same time, you could damage your own credibility by going too far with that. And it's an uncomfortable position. She's usually the one asking the questions. She's never been up there on the stand like that. I assume. Um, And she was put in a very difficult position to answer questions about, you know, who paid for a wine bottle this one time, you know, in whatever year and who paid for a hotel room. And it's a lot of detailed things where they're not showing you exhibits. They're just demanding that, you know, one way or the other. The explanation that a lot of it was paid with cash is if it's the truth, then I guess that explains a lot of the reason why there wouldn't be a receipt of a transaction paying Mr. Wade back for these things. I don't know that it even would have made that much of a difference if they were in a romantic relationship, if he was paying for certain things. But then you get back to the central premise of that would be the one connection that the defense could try to make and say that her prosecution, not just in general, but specifically of these defendants is unfair because she created this scheme where she would end up benefiting from the money that was paid out of her office for these consultants. So. Either way, I don't know whether there will be enough. I don't think it's enough to throw out the charges. I don't know if it's enough to force her to remove herself from the case, but she may be in a position where she believes that that may have to happen. And then the issue becomes, then who takes over the prosecution? If anybody does.
1: Well, we had this, I had this conversation with Kim Fox yesterday and the uh, Cook County state's attorney who's a, a, the parallel prosecutor in our jurisdiction. And she said it would be very difficult. In fact, she brought up the Justice Smollett case, uh, which it has uh, again some parallels because uh, it, once her off, the case was removed from her office, then they had to find uh, a prosecutor willing to take it. And it ended up uh, appointing Dan Webb. So uh, it's very difficult. I'm going to, give you my latest theory which is uh, so just with this warning it could probably change tomorrow ladies and gentlemen uh i've been known to do that but at the moment uh i'm gonna say that judge i think it's mckeith is his name will not uh, take her off the case because he realizes that would effectively kill the case without allowing it to go to a jury Uh, And that is, wow, you know, without absent a gym of any uh, real conflict of interest uh, evidence, which is what you were getting at with this cockamamie, alleged alleged elaborate kickback scheme, um, there's no reason to get rid of the case. So I liken it in this regards to my opinion. I was thinking about this regards to the Colorado case before the Supremes. I do not believe the Supreme Court. I don't know if I've had the conversation with you on the mic, but I do not believe the Supreme Court will um, side with Colorado and kick Trump off the ballot because I believe they just don't want to get involved that much. They don't want to put their neck on the line. And I got a feeling this judge may be going the same way. If he rules against her and he rules that uh, takes the case away from her, that effectively kills this case. This is a huge case that's... A lot of money's been spent building this case. They've already, as Kim Fox pointed out, they've gotten people to plea. There's people who've been penalized, punished, admitted guilt. You know, I mean, it's kind of late in the game to be doing this. Uh, So that I realize that has less to do with law and more to do with practicality. But you know me, and when it comes to judges, Jim, I'm always talking about what really motivates them. That's a constant in our conversations for seven years. Uh, so that's my thoughts on that, your response.
0: Well, you're, you're not, it's not an inconsequential consideration. It won't be in his decision when he writes it, but it is, I'm sure it's something going through his mind. And if anything, he can rest upon Georgia law does require there be an actual conflict of interest. So it's a it's a it's look it's extremely rare for defendants to bring disqualification motions like this if only because if the judge knows of any kind of reason that they shouldn't be hearing the case and they recuse themselves and they assign it to another judge if the prosecutor knows of the of the conflict of interest ahead of time then they remove themselves from the case because they wouldn't want to risk the prosecution this is why I'm not look I'm trying to be empathetic with Fannie Willis, and she's been under a lot of pressure since she started this whole prospect. So when I criticize her judgment, it's just because I am positive that this is something that means a great deal to her. And she's poured her heart and soul into it and has stuck her neck out for the sake of upholding the criminal justice system, upholding the United States Constitution and the rule of law for what I'm hoping is going to remain the United States of America beyond. Uh, Uh, November of 2024. It's just that you kind of have to have realized that maybe they didn't think it would happen, that somebody would even notice that this was happening, that somebody would file this motion. Um, Someone had to have tipped them off to it. I know there was some background information about that, but she has no actual conflict of interest in her mind. And I don't think they have demonstrated that there's an actual conflict of interest. It's just that you also would like to avoid even creating this red meat um, or a, a phony reason for someone to criticize the validity of the prosecution once it actually happens.
1: I, I, by the way, I think it emerged from uh, the, the uh, machinations of the, divorce proceedings that Wade was undergoing. I think that's how that submerged. Uh, so just imagine that, the, you, you, I mean, you're not a divorce lawyer, but divorce lawyers don't play. Uh, and if they could use something like this against, for on behalf of their client, against, you know, so that's how it went down. All right, we're going to close with a homework assignment for you. I know I don't pay you enough to obligate you to do homework, uh, and uh, but this is a good homework assignment. Uh, your, your assignment is to watch the movie that I texted you about called Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, and it's a French movie. It's a legal thriller. Uh, I, I love legal thrillers, books, movies. Uh, so I, this is a really good one, in my humble opinion. But I would love to pick your brain the next time you're a show. You can watch it. It's streaming. Uh, you don't even have to go to a movie theater. About the differences between a French courtroom and an American courtroom. It is staggering. I've never been in a French courtroom before. This is like my first exposure to it. If what they're saying is true, man, they got a different set of rules, to put it mildly, uh, that govern you know, proceeding in France than the United States or any court I've seen. Uh, and I'm not going to give any away. I just want, uh, I think you would like the movie. Anyway, regardless, you know, it's a good thriller. I know you like thrillers. Uh, and who um, dotted type thing. So that's your homework assignment. And um, good luck. Okay. Uh, you don't have to write a paper or anything. Oh, yeah. Watch the movie and then answer my questions about the difference between France uh, and the United States. You're up for that?
0: I Yeah, I'll watch it. We'll talk about okay. it. I look forward to it. <laughs> and it, it probably is interesting just to see uh, the way it's portrayed. And I'll probably end up Googling while I'm watching it, like to try to understand how realistically it's being portrayed and, and how the French courtroom actually happens.
1: Yeah. It's also a good flick. It's one of the 10 that were nominated for this uh, Academy Award. So it's, that's right. It's, it's a very well-made movie with great acting, but, Jim, I I'll just I'm, I don't want to go any further because I don't want to give anything away. Man, they got different set of rules in France than they do in the United States. All right, uh, Jim Coogan, thank you very much. Uh, it's always a blast talking with you, and I'll see you real soon. Right?
0: Hey, don't forget to also check out Coogan Knows the Law. That's the uh, the Jim Coogan podcast. So if you like this podcast, that one gets a little more deep into the legal issues and doesn't have as many crazy rants, but uh, I try to entertain as well.
1: All right. Very good. That's Jim Coogan. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.